Coming up next, the booking is addicted to Dennis Johnson. Hello, folks. Welcome to The Booketing. I am Nathan. I'm your humble and obedient host. Was I ashamed as soon as I said The Booketing was addicted to Dennis Johnson? Yes, I was. And I'm not even joking. I was ashamed. Not not of the pun, but just, I don't know, making light of addiction. Some, I don't know why I was ashamed, but I was filled with deep shame as soon as I said that. And Brandon kind of gave me a half smile, slightly. Yeah, kind of a smirk. Kind of a smirk, a little scorn, a little sympathy. I thought you just didn't it's know about what a, where you were going. This book deserves. It's about what the book deserves. That's what I'm. That's that's where I was leading, Jake. Is that I'm feeling the right feelings for this particular book. A, a, the, some shame, some scorn, some sympathy, and some admiration. And some admiration. Yes, it's all and it's all twisted up inside of uh, the poetry that is me. Right. Mm. I know every raindrop by, by its name. Raindrop by its name. The line that sold a million books, or the line that made me and Jake read this book. Heck yeah. Well, I guess we'll get to it in yep. in baggage. But folks, this is the booking. I am Nathan, and welcome to a delightful new year of joy and promise and happiness. Gases down, and I thought you were saying a new year of gas. <laughs> yeah, a new year of gas. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, holidays, right? <laughs> a lot of bloating, right. a lot of gas. <laughs> uh, Oh, man, it's so hard to get to it. Frailty, thy name is Brandon. There we go. <laughs> I thought there was one that was Brandon is fat. That one's gone now. <laughs> yeah, I accidentally released, uh, deleted that you one. released it. <laughs> yeah, I released it into the wild. It's doing great. <laughs> we had some of our people tag it just the other day. It's doing wonderful. Anyway, folks, you may be wondering who Brandon is. You know he's frail. You know that he's so frail that... His name is synonymous with frailty, Yeah, but he's Brandon Chastain. I don't know what else to say about him. Hey, he's hey. the scholar who's a baller of books. He's Ghost Brandon. He's... What else is interesting about you these days, Brandon? Oh, uh, not much. He's wearing a, a, a woven kind of a, a sweater deal. What do you call those things? It's a Henley. A Henley, yeah. A Henley, that's yeah. the word I was looking for. It's kind of a thermal Henley. He's wearing a thermal... He's wearing a thermal Henley. That's a Star Wars joke. Because <laughs> C-3PO says... He's wearing a thermal Henley. He's yeah, holding famous... a thermal detonator. <laughs> the equal opportunity crickets, people. I'll cricket myself. I'll cricket anyone. He'll cricket anyone. Anyone who deserves it. And I will frailty that name is Brandon. Anyone <laughs> oh, sure. who deserves it. <laughs> sure you will. <laughs> so how's it going, Brandon? Great. Yeah. Lots of stuff. Lots of stuff. Great. Lots of stuff. Yeah. The way it's going is lots of stuff. Well, working, doing some reading. <laughs> mostly working. Yeah. Working, Man, reading. Mostly working, reading. doing some reading. Spending doing time with the family? Spending time with the family. Uh, a man who doesn't spend time with his family is no man at all. We learned that in our The Godfather, which you can hear us review over on Sanity at the Movies. Yep. So that's, that's about it. Read the things I love doing. Reading. Working. Working, doing some writing when I can, hanging out with the kids when I can, helping connect caves when I can. <laughs> helping connect caves? Like yeah. cave meet cave? Yeah. I was part of what will become a historic project in 
The Garrison Chapel Valley World of Caves. Like well known for all the people that died of suffocation after they got no, their fat a, bodies trapped. There's a historic cave. That's, He's going to be sued after the little opening that he uh, helped make between two caves collapses on someone and kills everybody. Right. Well, that would be historic. It would be historic. Third booking member jailed. <laughs> that's probably what the headline would say. He'd be the third. Who's the first? <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess this implies you guys are going to jail before me. Oh yeah. <laughs> Believe me. <laughs> you don't know what me and Jacob been up to. We haven't gotten to that yet. It was inspired by this book, though. <laughs> going to jail? What's going to end up putting you to jail? Oh yeah, we're doing drugs. Yeah. And, and looking at naked ladies through windows. Uh, it's bad stuff. Bad stuff. And we shot somebody. Do you and have to we clap that out. <laughs> I'm not clapping that out. It's this the is, book. This is a Dennis yeah. Johnson book. We encourage Maybe. people to read this book. I thought you were going to say we encourage people to look at <laughs> ladies through windows. Yeah, we definitely. Oh man. Oh, I don't boy. encourage people to read this book, except some people. Uh, the right, almost never. <laughs> the right people. This is like the closest we'll get to Gnosticism in, this, in the <laughs> yeah, book. Yeah, yeah, the, if you're the right person, we will encourage you to read this book. If you're the wrong person, we discourage you from reading this book. Which is most people. <laughs> Which is, yeah, most people. You know, we we dance around this book now. We've done whole episodes dancing around this book, so it's nice to finally talk about it wherever yeah. we land. Bring it out to the light. Bring it into the light. See, see what if it happens. doesn't scatter it's into the corners light. like a right. roach in a crack house. Right. <laughs> We're kind of getting to do that with two books. Bringing him out to the light? I guess oh, the other McCarthy one's already dropped, up, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a weird chronological thing for us because this is coming out in the lore of the bookening. Yes. After the episode. With McCarthy. McCarthy, but we're actually recording this right before we record McCarthy. Yeah, this so, is we recorded yeah. this a while ago. We'll have actually. thoughts that come out of this episode that affect that episode. And yep. so yep, yep, that'll yep. be fun for people to try and stitch that together. It will be <laughs> a blast. <laughs> that's, that's what they're going to do. They're going to be like, how do I stitch this together? Yeah, we have we, people that How do we reconstruct right. how they got to where well, yeah. they are? Yeah, our the way car, I like our to imagine listeners. our <laughs> listeners is they have like 10 by 10 little rooms mm -hmm. yeah. where they have a little shrine to us in one corner. Sure, obviously. Yeah. And, and then, then the whole threaded, other wall yeah. is just, yeah, corkboard and string. And like yarn all over the place. So it's like a web. It's like yeah. a spider's web in there with all the connections. And it's not going to get any better either because we are that confusing. Yeah. Well, we are very we, no, we are extra confusing. Somehow doing 12 episodes a year is much more confusing for us than doing 42 or whatever we used to do. I guess we did something close to 54 back in the day. But a lot of episodes. 54 episodes in a 52-week yeah. year. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. Yeah. 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 We were something. Well, bonus episodes? I don't know. I mean, there's probably an episode, a year where we did 54. I doubt it. Well, uh, we have to talk about Jake. Yeah. Speaking of what about speaking me? of Jake. Speaking of I'm Jake, here. let's speak about him. Yeah, let's there speak he is. About him. I'm not even, he's Jake. He's a pastor who's a master of reading, and he is here. He loves drugs. <laughs> <laughs> Get big, it in my veins. Yeah, big heroin user. Make him feel scraped out. <laughs> Make him feel yeah. scraped out. Oh my goodness. What a what in the a, light in this place we can all see. We only see each other's demons or whatever, right? Oh, my goodness. Oh. This dude is ridiculous. Is this book going to make me not like Dennis? Is this episode going to make me not like Dennis Johnson? I don't think so because... Okay. No, I don't like Dennis Johnson, and I still like Dennis Johnson. Okay. So. Yeah, I mean, that's how... I think that he's kind of inevitable, and so is this, <laughs> so is this book. He's the he's Thanos. Thanos. Of the he's Thanos, yeah. <laughs> yeah you, you, you hate him, but you can't deny him. You can only Iron Man him out of existence. I mean, everybody and, says that about McCarthy, and it's true. McCarthy is unavoidable for anyone that cares, but takes literature seriously and wants to read the 20th century canon or whatever. Yep. But I think Johnson is quickly becoming that way, too. I just don't think that there's... Mm, well, this is... We'll this is it. Just in terms of touching prose, like, yeah. I don't think anything touches... I and mean, I've read 
I read the, I've the closest read, uh, candidate yeah. would be what's his face. The guy we're about to talk about. McCarthy. McCarthy. Yeah, but Blood Meridian is probably actually the closest to touching Jesus' son for line-by-line poetry, uh, prose is poetry. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it actually, I don't think it wins. I think Jesus' son wins for for that. At Jesus' son's best, it can't be touched. I don't think it's, I don't think, I don't think it can be touched. Yeah, I mean, I think. it's, It's wasted in all the wrong, horrible places, but it's, Still, McCarthy's amazing. McCarthy's even not Blood Meridian so much, but McCarthy has a lot of stuff that's <laughs> a little bit more accessible. And his poetry involves things like sunsets and the sky, right? Things that we've all experienced. Whereas, <laughs> not smoking a bar that's like fog that exposes your demons and yeah, all that weird little little less dreamlike imagery that he has. Demon exposing fog, and well, McCarthy probably has his own demon exposing fog. But anyways, folks, we're talking about Jesus' son. We're talking about... my favorite kind of fog. (laughs) Demon-exposing fog. Demon-exposing fog. Release the demon-exposing fog. Uh, We're talking about Dennis Johnson. We're talking about Jesus' son. Some of our listeners may not even know who Dennis Johnson is. So why don't we barrel on into context? Brandon is the contextual Texan, and he comes from Texas. He provides much-needed context on the works that we're discussing with a hail and hearty... Yeehaw! All right, so we're ready to start this. Well, context will kind of be, I think, looped in to talking about the book because fairly recent writer just died. Not he didn't die. He it's like twenty fourteen or yeah, he died not too long ago. Did he die? He died since we've been doing the bookening, right? Yeah, I think we talked about it on an episode of the bookening. Oh, really? That's probably why we. It would have been early bookening, I guess. If yeah. it was, was it it must have been. I, I had twenty fourteen in mind, but maybe it was like twenty seventeen. How long have we been doing first year? Twenty sixteen. I think maybe we're in your yeah he died 2017 or? so he died one year into doing this 2017 okay yeah okay yeah and he's actually kind of a contemporary of the guy we're going to talk about Cormac McCarthy mm-hmm. the guy who um, we've already talked about we've in, already talked in our about listeners timeline he was born in 49 so that didn't puts, finish the book one star yeah <laughs> <laughs> we deserved that joking no we, yeah we didn't deserve it we didn't deserve that at all. I think also that person also complained that we called Cormac McCarthy a Southern writer. Mm-hmm. He, he was born in Rhode Island. How can he be a Southern writer? You know, oh my goodness. When everybody thinks of someone as something, there might be something to that. I don't know. Anyway, anyways, Dennis Johnson. So he was born in '49, died in 2017 of liver cancer. So he was what 67, almost 68, 67 is when he died. So fairly young guy. His dad was. A military guy, and so he was all over the world as a young guy. And this would actually, actually come born in Germany. Yep. Yeah. So he's not even an American writer. One star. Yeah, one star. He's a German writer. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, yeah. Yeah. The greatest German writer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got Goethe. You've... You got Dennis Kafka. Dennis. <laughs> How would you say that in German? Uh, Dennis Jake's the our resident German expert. You'd say Dennis. Yeah, you would try to just say it, but with a German American accent. Name. I'm not going to try it. Oh, come on, Jake. Nope. Come don't on. do it. Come on, Won't Jake. Do it. Well, come on. Nope. Sorry. Frailty, thy name is Jake. <laughs> Frailty, <laughs> thy name is <Brandon>. Jake. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Somebody needs to edit that clip so that you got that on your board. Hey, if you edit that clip, folks, I'll put it on the board. I'm not, yeah. I'm not spending time editing it myself. <laughs> but somebody out there can do it. Or if you yeah. can find a fun excerpt from something that has the word Jake in it, yeah, Come good on, luck. Psychopath in your 10 by 10 room. Now's your chance. Now's your, now's your big chance. <laughs> <laughs> pull, pull out the Jake from State Farm 
commercials on YouTube and see if you can. Yeah. Yeah. Like we don't need much like, oh, Jake or something like that would be, would be a great little thing for the, whatever you call those things, drop for, for the book. Anyway, Dennis Johnson. I'm sure that Big Jake, you know, the John Wayne movie might get you something. Big yeah. Jake. Well, there is there is one that I can think of from that movie, but it's she says, Jake, you son of a, and then she finishes oh. the sentence, which would be a great drop, but we can't do it for the yeah. booking. Um, That's too bad. Yep. Well, you could, somebody could cut it, clip it and throw a, a bleep in there or something like that. Hey, there you go. It's all on you, fans. So Born 49, the great German writer. This is really great stuff so far. <laughs> <laughs> great German writer. Dennis Johnson. <laughs> This, the places he would live is in his childhood. I think he lived in Manila for a while. Would come back later to be the basis of some of his other writing. Tree of Smoke is based a lot in his experiences that he had. He, he spent time in yeah the Philippines and then also so, in Japan. Yep, and that's and Tree of Smoke definitely is yeah. gonna. And his dad was a. Uh, uh, sorry, I'm taking over your context. Go ahead. There's, his I dad mean, was a liaison between the State Department and the CIA. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Which. So he wrote about that, and then his other book, what was it called? About the Uganda. So he went and did some journalism for Harper's for a uh, while. uh, So does does that mean his dad was one of those grubby little operators, like in a Jean Le Carre thing, or like like a kind of shitty shitty dude? It's hard to know. Exactly. Jake's right. It's hard to know, because what one of the things I was going to say about him and Cormac McCarthy is that they're they were both very, well, Cormac's still alive, Mm -hmm. very reclusive, and they don't give many interviews. Right. Like they were notorious. For I, I went interviews. looking for Dennis Johnson interviews and I could find couldn't find a single one. Yeah, I found a couple. But you you worked harder than I did. The interesting so, thing so. about Dennis Johnson is that he feels so open handed with who he is in his writing proper that yeah. you, you kind of would expect him to do more interviews. McCarthy yeah. always feels like it's McCarthy, the poet, the author. That's right. And then he yeah. But 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 I mean, Jesus' son feels like. If this is an autobiographical, it might as well be. I mean, these are just the stories of his life. Yeah, it's basically. very well, semi-autobiographical. They are right? auto, yeah. So the Seek, one interview I, I what found, you say what? Seek, I think is the name of what you wanted. The compilation of like war reporting and yeah, things like that. I, I wanted to get a copy and read them. I, I want to very much because I read about yeah some of that stuff. I, I read Tree, well, we'll get to this, but I read Tree of Smoke. And, and then um, he also wrote a book, a short fiction, one of his later ones, The Laughing Monsters. That he published in 2014, his last novel was based on those stories that he, or those the, nonfiction stories that he wrote for Harper's. Okay. So, anyways, and that's also about a guy who goes over, he's an operative, I think, for the CIA and then gets involved with some of the stuff that's going on in Uganda. So, he does draw a lot from his actual experiences. Mm-hmm. Well, and his um, war reporting is like, it's some of the most, if you read about it, it seems like it's some of the most intense war reporting. Like, he got captured and imprisoned he escaped from prison yeah like in where nicaragua or something like that yeah i think top that's of my right head. yeah nigeria i don't know this is awesome jake can help a lot with he, the... he, he was like he was no, like I'm, I'm he was like out in the jungle yeah. like with, with like boy soldiers and stuff like that it's like what's his sean penn wanted to do with yeah sean penn's a poser but dennis yeah. johnson like, you know who the actual poser is is hemingway i mean yes he is hemingway's like i'm a man and i go and i'm looking for the grenades under the water and or, or whatever he did not grenades what are, what are grenades under the water called <laughs> mines mines <laughs> yeah. yeah i'm fighting big, the war <laughs> big blowing up things under the Way out water. Meanwhile, Dennis Johnson's like, hey, I'm a skis ball, but uh, yeah, I go get captured. And <laughs> yeah. Well, and then he like, like he just like, I think he just, uh, it, you know, you read Jesus' son, you realize that this man 
has always had a death wish, mm-hmm. right? And so, like, he cleans up, he sobers up, and then he just, like, is, like, when he does his war reporting, he just, like... And he's like, well, I still want to die. I so. still want to die, so I might as well do something, try to do something great while trying to also get myself killed. And then and, when he gets, in his older years, he buys, like, 120 acres out in Idaho. Right. And isolates himself with his family, but he'll go, like, walk the ranch, the two miles around the ranch, and do things outside that are a little bit dangerous as well. So this, he's just... Yeah, he's just that kind of... Yeah. Guy. So he's like in the line of fire, in harm's way. And I, you know, I think. Yeah. All these kinds of gonzo live the journalism guys, the Hunter S. Thompson, stuff like that. Dennis Johnson's actually the real deal. He's he's like the real deal. And he's quiet that. about it. He's not trying to put up a Right, exactly. He doesn't, he doesn't, like, he's not into self-mythologizing. Yes, which is what Hemingway was about and what the gonzo guy was about. What was his name? Hunter Thompson. S. Thompson. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They were about self-mythologizing, but Dennis Johnson... You have to go looking to find this stuff about yeah. him, and you don't find him talking about it. Yeah, he's more a lot along the lines of, oh, what's his face? The one who, Stephen, that wrote some of the short stories that we've, my brain is not working today. We've read him before multiple times. The disappearance of- Oh, uh, uh, Milhauser? Milhauser, thank you. I just want to say Mallarmé, but I'm like, that's not right. That's, <laughs> Steve, a, that's, a, cra- that's a crazy French poet. <laughs> Stephen Mallarmé. Yeah, Milhauser. <laughs> Woo! Because I was also thinking in the back that he, Dennis Johnson, his earliest stuff, he was a poet. Yeah. So his he like he had a book of poetry, which my understanding wasn't the greatest, and it's not that impressive to get a chapbook published at 19, but he did. He published a chapbook at 19. Showed that what he wanted to do was become a writer, and then he got into drugs and wasn't a writer until his 30s because drugs kept him from being a writer. <clears throat> so he had all these early experiences that would go in effect that would influence his later work. But have you guys ever read The Artist of the Mo- I think it's The Artist of the Modern World by Baudelaire, that essay about the artist being basically a camera lens, that they would just go out into the world and everything that you see then somehow affects your art? It's like a modernist essay. Yeah. He kind of, Dennis Johnson has a similar take on the way his art works. And one of the few interviews I found of him, he says that, like, even going through Uganda. Wait, wait did there. you read the inter- Are yeah. they, okay. I was looking for video interviews. So I found some, yeah. Oh, he found, you found some of those. Oh, no, just, no. Oh, just text interviews. No, yeah, I couldn't video. find a single video. The only thing I could find were little bits of readings. Yeah. And he might give a little bit of an introduction to something, and you might get a little bit of a sense of. Yeah, the professor who got me onto Dennis Johnson as an undergrad, since he taught at Texas State University, and he would go, during this period of his life, he would go from Arizona, where his parents lived, up to Idaho, where he lived with his family, and then down to Texas, because he taught in Texas for a while. He was the chair of a MFA program down there. And I actually very briefly thought of trying to go there instead of IU. Mm. And then he left. So, but anyways because I loved Dennis Johnson so much. Mm-hmm. But apparently he was just, he was weird down there too. Like one of the interviews this guy saw him give on campus, he brought out conga drums and was like drumming as he gave his speech and stuff like that. There was like a drum <laughs> a line. Up there yeah, he was, he was a weirdo. But I mean, once again, con- contrast him with Ginsburg and all the, he, this guy's like the real beat poet. He's like the real. Yeah, and he was so withdrawn from the public eye that, he really wasn't trying to self-mythologize. I do think with Cormac McCarthy, there's a little bit of self-mythologizing even with his cranky old, let's not. Yeah, I think you with, feel some, some. Like if he, you've watched, a, I've only watched a little bit of a McCarthy interview and it was all, it was a while back, but I remember feeling like. He wants to be the crotchety old John Wayne. Like, of, because yeah. it's like, 
He's a poser. I mean, the yeah. one the one I watched, I didn't really blame. I felt the same way, but I didn't really blame him because it was Oprah. Oh, that Oprah. Was, like, oh, was it? She obviously that's like a offered him a awful thousand idea. billion dollars to do it, and it's and, and then he's like, okay, I'll play your game and give you absolutely nothing. And yeah, you, you, maybe that is what I saw. You kind of had to enjoy the cynicism of it. Okay. I, yeah. I think that probably is what you saw because I don't know when else he's come out from behind his. That's pretty much the only interview he's given. Yeah, outside. Then of, that must be it. There's one or the two weird one. stuff he's doing with that science institute now. But I uh, just remember like, <laughs> flip, so, I think somebody sent it to me and I put it on and for like half a second and I was just like, ugh, I don't even want to think about who this guy actually is. Yeah. And then I turned it off. Where are we with Dennis Johnson? He was born in 1949. <laughs> He's a great German writer. <laughs> oh, he, his father and the travels that he did. Then he yeah. went to university. He enrolled at the University of Iowa, then got into the MFA program there as well. Studied with Raymond Carver. Had some success publishing things early on. Then by the mid-70s, he was on drugs in Berkeley. He actually has a little short essay he wrote for The New Yorker about this called High and Homeless. Mm-hmm. But this was a very brief period, and then he went to live with his parents for a while, sobered up, got into some rehab programs. But these experiences that he had in Berkeley, where he talks about the, it's the dregs of the hippie movement, he said. It's, you know, you had the free love movement in the 60s, and then the reality of that not being a real possibility in Berkeley with all these kids just on the streets wanting to live their degraded lives and not having anywhere to go. So was he, did he start as one of the kind of visionary what is it like tune in tune not tune on tune what is it turn on tune in drop out the Dennis timothy leary kind of this is awesome we're gonna do drugs no, i think it was more that he just he admits that he was just an addict okay just just yeah, gross that's, and, nasty and that's kind of what i appreciate about him is that he doesn't try to mythologize that it's not romanticizing it yeah either. but did he yeah, mythologize yeah, it to himself like was he attracted to the mythology of it to start with or did he he just... never mentions any of that okay so i don't think so i think he just liked drugs right <laughs> okay yeah. I mean, so there he was on the streets, just wanting to live and be addicted to drugs. So that's, right. that's pretty much all. He doesn't give a whole lot of detail about himself. The closest you get is what he says is pretty. So the first three stories in De- Jesus' Son that he published with The New Yorker are fairly autobiographical. And then he said, as he began to think about expanding this into a book, he began to take stories from other people that he knew. And so that the main character in Dennis Johnson, in Jesus' son, who I don't guess we can say his name, right? Right. On right. this podcast. But anyways, that main character ended up taking those stories as his own. And then he has this talk about how fiction is always a lie. And so that the autobiography, good luck figuring out what's true about him and what's just true about others in this book. Mm-hmm. But he says most of it was true about him anyways, because he could have done it. Right. So, yeah. And he said he really was that degraded. He really was that. He uses the word depraved a lot, but, and that is because later in his life, he would, he did claim in interviews, certain interviews that he was a Christian of sorts, but more of the high-minded Christian is what he called himself. And then that's like one interview that he said that. And then later yeah. he talked a lot about Buddhism. So no, I mean, who knows? I think it's a lot like trying to figure out if Bob Dylan early is a Christian, mm-hmm. right? But so he would, his first novel he wrote was Angels that he published in 83. And that's when he finally gave up pot. So in 75, 76 is when he got off heroin. I think 78 is when he decided to quit drinking alcohol. And then by 83 is when he was completely clean and wasn't given to any of that. 
anymore. And he stayed in rehab programs pretty much for the rest of his life, I think. Right. And so, and then with angels, he had some success, you know, and then you had Fiscadoro after that. I've read angels. I've read Fiscadoro. Then you had a few others. And then Jesus son comes out in 92 and he becomes minor celebrity. 99 is when you have the Billy Crudup movie. Either of you ever watched that one? No. Didn't want to. It's fine. I saw the image of his cameo and I thought, yeah, I don't want to. Yeah. I, I didn't assume it would be like too depraved. I just assumed it would be lame. Like how do yeah. you, how do you capture this yeah. book in celluloid? It's, it's just not a book that was made to be adapted. I don't yeah. think. You can't, you can't put poetry on screen. It's a different medium. I mean, you could do it maybe an animated, like there might be a way to do something analogous, but it wouldn't be a straightforward adaptation. And it would require an artist of equal caliber. Yeah, you'd need an auteur that was really knew what he was doing and had a vision for it. Same thing for Blood Meridian, actually. Yeah, but he never had like the superstar success of someone like a Cormac McCarthy. And Cormac, Cormac's going to have the weird story of pretty much living in poverty until finally he gets given a Guggenheim grant and then he's a rich man. And now he's still a rich man and basically can do whatever he wants. Dennis Johnson, even in some of his later interviews, would say, you know, I... He's basically living hand to mouth. He's still having to teach. His books aren't just making all sorts of money. And so he's burning through it. He was given some grants and stuff like that, but he never became, I don't think he was ever really a celebrity outside of the literary world, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the myths that people believe is you publish a book and then you've made it. Rich. You don't have to work anymore. You can become an author. That only works yeah. out for a hand, handful of people. I think that one of the biggest... People feel like one of the biggest over, like people keep saying Cormac McCarthy should win the Nobel Prize. Dennis Johnson never won the Pulitzer Prize, even though his books were up for it twice. Trio and they didn't give a Pulitzer either year. Yep. And Train, and train Dreams. Dreams. And those were the years they decided not to give oh Pulitzer Prizes, even though they had Train Dreams, which I think is, yeah, I think it might be better than Jesus' Son. So. I, you know, I thought that, and then I reread Jesus' Son after, and I decided, no but it's, it's been a while. I read, I read train dreams when it came out. So it's been what, 11 years since I read that. So. Yeah. But it sticks with you. It's good. Yeah. So I don't know what, if I'd still hold to that opinion or not, but so anyways, so he had some success. He was married three times. He, with his last wife got some stability. He has a really kind of sweet and clever essay. He wrote for salon about homeschooling. They decided to homeschool, and he said the whole thing for him was just getting away from the institutionalization of schooling, that he thought schooling as America has it is bogus, and that they could do just as good a job with their kids at home, which, for what it is, the thesis works. Yeah. And so, but yeah, uh, what other things are there to say about Dennis Johnson? There's going to be a lot to say in the discussion proper. Maybe we should just Yeah, move, move well, I mean, it. I feel like I'm... The, that moment in his books where he says, what was there to say about that field, right? <laughs> right. What else was there to say about Dennis Johnson? Oh, he does list some of his early influences. So on his poetry, have you read any of his poems? We, uh, yeah, like one with you yeah. guys at some point, I think. They're pretty good. His influences, he would li he listed as Walt Whitman and T.S. Eliot, and then through like Eric Clapton and Jimi Hendrix in there as well. But for his poetry, yeah. when he comes to literature, he likes like, like brings out Joseph Conrad or... Yep. Uh, and as a boy, he loved... Huck Finn, he loved Tom Sawyer. Some of his earliest writing experiences or experiments was when he was about 10, when he read those, he tried to rewrite Tom Sawyer. <laughs> like he That's wrote, fun. he wrote stories. How many, how many of the really great authors have done, uh, done that, done ex that exact same thing? Like they got their start simply by trying to rewrite 
Yeah. Someone I, else's I story. I think quite a few of them. Which, I mean, even all the way, like Ben Franklin talked about, that's how he taught yeah. himself how to write, mm -hmm. right? It was just, just like- trying to imitate other writers, yeah. It, yeah, no. He's I'm, like gonna cut up somebody else's article and story and then try to reassemble it and then try to recreate it in his own words and try to make it better. Or tons of authors have just- Yeah, Raymond Chandler always it. talked about that. And he said what it gave you was- you, you you could actually realize the other author's tricks and take them for yourself because you 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 would write it and you'd be like, why didn't it work? It didn't work. This scene doesn't play when I write it. Like this, it feels so inevitable when they do it, and you don't even believe that this would ever happen when I do it. So what did they do to make it work? And then you go and you look at it, and suddenly you can see. Well, that is one of my favorite parts of. So he said that writing for him is. Kind of like, well, he said two different things. One, writing for him is a lot like music and that it has this inexpressible reality to it. So apparently T.S. Eliot has a line, I couldn't find it in any of his essays, where he says it's the incomprehensible music aspect of poetry and literature in the sense that you're balancing things, but you don't quite understand why you're balancing things. So he says he never thinks of themes. He never thinks of big ideas when he writes. He just goes and he tells a story. And he says, and he has all these things that he's observed. So like he'll walk around with a little tape recorder and just observe things that he thinks are fascinating. And then they like get refracted and reflected inside of him into what he thinks might cohere as a story. Mm -hmm. And he said, sometimes writing for him is like getting in a teacup and pushing yourself off into a, a lake and telling yourself, I'm going to land on Mars. And then finding out that you've circled back around pretty much to the same place you've started. And being pretty happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the universal human experience. Yeah. The old teacup Mars conundrum. Teacup on a lake to Mars. <laughs> on a lake to Mars. Yeah. <laughs> Only so, But I'm happy that I survived and made it back to where I started. Yeah. And so he says that's kind of what writing is for him, is you go out with these huge plans and then you're happy when it's as modest as it is. Mm -hmm. And that for him, he doesn't know half, half the time he doesn't understand how his stories work they just it just feels like the right thing to do mm -hmm. like it feels like the music fits that point yeah he's one of the people probably is he the author we've read that is the most doing an intuitive high wire act of of anyone certainly what it feels like and and getting yeah. away with it i mean we might have read some authors that do that and fall off the high wire but yeah dennis johnson's like well we'll talk about it we'll talk more about it as they keep saying yep and so yeah, he's one of those characters that you could place him in literary history, but I'm not sure that does much for you. He's kind of his own thing. He's unique. He writes short stories, and his short stories do what short stories should do, is they have a moment that seems like there's all the meaning right there. Mm -hmm. But they work a little differently in that they kind of have some of this a stream of consciousness and stuff that he would have inherited from modernists and postmodernists. And there are a couple of the stories you don't quite understand how they're supposed to work, like the one about hotel, that character. But yeah, and now I'm the age I am. You can see the signs of some of them just being from a young writer, but mm -hmm. like maybe they don't work because they just don't work. And that's right. fine. Or maybe but, there's things that you're asked to forgive that come from sloppiness, but you're able, you're able to kind of write off yeah. as it's the hallucinatory dream logic of, yeah. uh, right. He gets away with a lot just by, because of his subject matter, actually. Yeah. Which sounds more denigrating than maybe I mean it to. I, I like this guy, but yeah. yeah we'll I talk mean, about if it. you if you he's found a format that suits what he what wants he's trying to do. To do. Yeah, um, but yeah, he, it's in it and it's very forgiving, right? 
It would be very forgiving for most writers, but could Dennis Johnson write a straightforward A to B to C short story? I don't know. I've never read one. Well, I read his 700 page novel. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess he could, <laughs> but a 700 page novel in some ways is easier than an A to B to C. And train dreams is a novella. Yeah. That's yay big. Yeah. So, so I don't know. And what did you think of Tree of Smoke? I ended up really enjoying it. It yeah. took, it took, I think for me, the first, uh, the first couple hundred pages, I wasn't quite with it. After about page 200, which is a lot, that's a big ask. Yeah. Bloomington, Indiana gets a shout out in the book. Several. Yeah. Yeah, several. Because the guy is from there, right? No, he's from Iowa, but he, goes he to school. went to school at that's IU. Right, yeah. And so he kind of is does little backtracks to his college days. And Which his, I, I tried to do some research figuring out why Dennis Johnson would have chosen IU. But I couldn't find any reasons. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, that's too bad. He didn't like come through and... I'm uh, sure he came through. I mean, a little steam. story, but, yeah. Well, it sounds like I should just move he us. He knows into, he knows enough about like he did enough research to make like the little bits about Bloomington feel yeah real. It felt like he had been there. I yeah, very that. much. Well, it, if Jesus' son is to be believed, he had such a transient lifestyle, and Bloomington, Indiana, is a huge drug capital of the Midwest. So. Drug and homelessness. Yeah, uh, you could see him ending up there on yep. many occasions. Drugs, homelessness, and debauched sexuality. I mean, people I know who were alive in the 70s would drive from Indianapolis to Bloomington to get their drugs. So sounds like we're ready to... Is it time for the, the old baggage plane to... I think this so. whole episode sounds is just like going to be yeah. one big baggage plane. But here it comes, folks. It's the baggage plane. <laughs> the plane that... That carries baggage. carries baggage. There probably is such a thing as a baggage plane. There certainly is on this podcast. We are all baggage planes. We get in our little teacup of baggage and that takes we, us... <laughs> we get on a lake and aim for Mars. And aim for Mars. And we end up, well, we'll find out where we end up. But Brandon, what's your baggage with Dennis Johnson? My baggage is that I was introduced to Dennis Johnson by a professor I really admired as an undergraduate and read him in his class. It was a period when I was kind of branching out from some of the 1800 stuff. I had not really read much modern stuff and enjoyed it and was like, well... There can be stuff that is written by people who are still alive at that point mm -hmm. that I enjoy. And I read it and I wasn't a drug addict or anything like that, but I was definitely going through some troublesome periods of my life in my 20s. And so I felt the main character, some of the stuff resonated with mm -hmm. me. So, and some of that wouldn't reach its head until I got here for grad school. But still, mm -hmm. I, yeah. And his prose was... It was like poetry meets prose. Mm -hmm. And for me, that just, it really spoke to me because most of the fiction writing that I had read up to that point, you had your prose and then you had your poetry. I didn't know you could have both at the same time. And it was great. Yeah. And so, yeah. He had me hooked. So I read that and then I read Fiscadoro. Then I read some of his other stuff as well. And anytime he would come out with a new book, I would try to read it. So, yeah, that's my baggage with Dennis Johnson. So, and I think I was so excited about him that told you guys about him. So my memory actually of my introduction to Dennis Johnson was that I think the book, I think Jesus son caught my eye on your bookshelf. Yeah. And I just picked it up and then you started waxing poetic about Dennis Johnson. Yeah. And I, it was the, it was the original copy that actually has the, the line that sold me that sold us uh, on, on the cover. Yep. This is the black with the chalkboard kind of 
So much better than the copy that 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 is extent now and that we sent to our patrons, but because it's just, it's the copy that's available. Yeah. It's the only copy that you can get now, but, but that, that original one just had, had the line, the little hint of the line to sort of like at the bottom, like under, I mean, it was a much, much more attractive cover, but, but I remember opening and just reading the first page and asking if I could take it. And yeah. you let me take it and I went and I read it and, and it was the same kind of experience of like, I, I felt spoken to in yeah. all the ways. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I knew this world and this world's a, a part of me that I try to suppress and hide and pretend doesn't exist. And, but it's here and I feel seen and the, and the, and the poetry prose of it all was like just special, something I had never never experienced yep. before. And I was very taken by it. And so that was my introduction to Dennis Johnson. And man, I loved that book, but also felt like I couldn't couldn't share it with anybody except except, except for the, us. The guys mm-hmm. in the room. Because of the dark places he does go. Mm. And I came back and I've I've I don't know how many times I've reread Jesus Son, but I've reread it a handful of times and each time it's been different. But then I've also gone, I've read Tree of Smoke and Trained Dreams and largest of the sea maiden and that's as far as i've gotten i want to do that volume of war stories and i want to do a couple more in time but i i really really like the guy find him very interesting and compelling i don't think anything quite matches jesus son for poetry as prose yeah it's interesting prose is poetry or however you want to want to put it but I am intrigued by the wording of what you just said because I think it. I resonate with it. You said, I like the guy. And I think a lot of times when we say we like authors, what we actually mean is... We like their work. Yeah, but I think with Dennis Johnson, what you actually mean is I like the guy. Yeah, I think I just he's got like a, him. He's got a nice self-deprecating, self, <laughs> self-hating, crazy kind of... Yeah. I, I don't know how to describe it, but he... He is a very likable yep. protagonist. Not the protagonist that he writes about in his stories is an awful human being, and there's a lot not to like. But just as a narrative voice, just the, the, the Dennis Johnson that you see peeking behind the curtains mm-hmm. is a man who has self hatred, but also compassion on the human race and compassion on the dirtiest, nastiest corners of the human race, and a kind of world weary lived quality yeah that it just seems like if you had been able to walk onto his compound and have a conversation with him you just like the guy you, you would have liked him yeah and and part of what you would feel is like wow like he fought his way out yes mm-hmm. and he fought his way out w- without doing what a lot of people who fought their way out do which is turning around and despising and judging everyone who didn't fight their way out but, yeah. but 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 he it's has, not it's not like he doesn't judge them it's but he cuz he it's just that he has compassion for 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 them there's a sympathy that's real that also doesn't feel like cuz it's ma- it's matched with such self-loathing and self-awareness that he, it's not like he condones anything yeah he has a similar vibe but a much more likable vibe to Lou Reed and uh, the famous song all the colored girls say do 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 you guys know that song with the little vignettes about transvestites and streetwalkers yeah. and stuff yeah. like that Dennis Johnson is like that and he he trucks in a similar kind of mythology of those people and of the counterculture and stuff 
But somehow he walks a line of compassion and of not glorifying it and yet making it poetic and beautiful. I, I don't know. Well, so, so much of the poetry actually comes down to just that sense of everybody's actually really lonely mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and everybody's coping with it in their own way. And the same forces that drive you to succeed or drive you to do this or that drive some people deep into the abyss. Right. And, and so there's that sense of like, I mean, I'm sure other people have, have used this, but this, this phrase talking about him or about other authors, but there's an existential realism mm-hmm. that he wants, he wants to get to everybody's soul through the souls of some of the most dirty and degraded and outcast people. Mm. And that's part of what's compelling. Yeah, I think that's true. And there is a sense of anonymity or so many of the guys that write about this kinds of stuff self mythologize in the sense that they were the one that got out and they were the one that always had some kind of greatness inside of them. I can't stand these kinds of narratives or or even just something like on the road or these stories about people who experience the underbelly of America one way or another and then come out of it or Hunter S. Thompson type, like I'm blown out of my mind on drugs. There's, there's always just something grandiose about it. Exploitative or exploitative. And uh, Dennis Johnson's like, no, I was just another guy. I easily could have died and nobody would have mourned me. And that's okay too. You know, it's just like, I read an essay. And I started writing about it and I'm glad some of you seem to care. Right. (laughs) I read an essay by a novelist who was inspired to become a novelist because of Dennis Johnson reading this uh, book in particular. And he said that he felt understood for the first time Mm -hmm. by someone, someone who wasn't just trying to make it out that he, his addictions had been this horrible thing. And also someone who didn't try to glorify it, didn't try to romanticize it. All he was doing was just saying, here it is. Right. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. And with his poetry, it feels like he's trying to just get as close to the truth as possible. I don't, I don't know how to draw the line between someone who kind of annoys me, like Bob Dylan, for example, someone who exists behind a kind of facade of anonymousness and you know that he's playing games with you and you know there's a certain amount of self-mythologizing what the line is, but I mean, I guess I'm saying those are those are different qualities than what Dennis Johnson does, but you you could cast them as similar. You know, Bob Dylan is just like, I'm going to tell you some stories about life and about my experiences and and I might give you a transcendent moment here and there in my in my poetry. Right. But Bob Dylan just seems somehow full of himself. And Dennis Johnson seems somehow self-deprecating in a way that makes Dennis Johnson more likable than almost any of the any of the beat poets, any of the counterculture guys, any of the folk singers, any of the people who kind of truck in this kind of this form of anti-Americana or underbelly stories or whatever you'd call them. I'm sure there's a word for the genre. But because Dennis Johnson is not the only person to write stories about, right. you know, seedy hotels and drunk no. people, people who write stories about alcohol. You know, there's a way of writing stories about alcohol that is very captures the destructiveness, but also is very self-glorifying. You know, Hemingway does it anyway. So I, I guess I'm supposed to be talking about my baggage with Dennis Johnson. I discovered him at the exact same time that Jake did through our admirable friend, Brandon Chasteen. Jake just picked the book up off of Brandon's shelf and it was called Jesus Son, which is a very catchy and provocative title, of course. And the kind of book that you would pick up based on the title alone, 
Mm-hmm. I mean, how many copies have been sold just because of the title? And uh, Jake, the way I remember it is that you actually ended up reading aloud the whole car crash, car, car crash story, which is, is what happened? which is probably the best story, just in terms of visceral impact. Certainly, it's the best and one of the most cohesive and easy to enter into mm-hmm. stories in this whole thing. And it's got any number of uh, glorious lines of uh, poetry prose in it. And we were both hooked. And I think I have Brandon's copy to this day, actually. I think I ended up with Brandon's copy. I think I told you to just keep it. Well, I told you I'd given it back, which was not a lie. I really believed in myself that I'd given it back. And then like a year later, I found that I still had your copy. And then you were like, just keep it. Keep it, you jerk. And I was like, I was bowed before you at the time. So yeah. you threw, you kicked some dirt in my face and yeah. I crawled away sobbing on the ground. And wasn't the highlight of our friendship. No, no, no. I, <laughs> uh, <laughs> not even in the top 10. Although it's it's gotten a lot worse than that. So... I guess we're already talking about the big picture. That's the sound of the camera going off, ushering us into the big picture. Is that what that was? This or podcast. Like sick crickets. The sick, <laughs> yeah, sick crickets. Whoops. That's some really sick crickets. Shot us. Put them out of their misery, yep. man. <laughs> In your face, crickets. This, this podcast is a little like a Dennis Johnson story because every piece contains elements of the other pieces and it's kind of yeah. a refracted reality of what the booketing, who am I kidding? The booketing podcasts are always like that. But and we shoot up on heroin before yeah. we well, do that helps. I wasn't gonna, I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> But we love hard drugs we on the booketing. That's what this podcast is really about. We just can't help ourselves. We're <laughs> addicts. We're rushing on our run and we feel just like, yeah, Jesus' son. Brandon, you went too far. Title comes from... Uh, yeah, we didn't even mention that. We didn't even mention it. Yeah, it comes from the... The title comes from a Lou Reed, Velvet yeah. Underground song. Yeah, so. yeah, Velvet Underground. I love Velvet Underground. Who, at the time... Because of Jesus' son, actually, I became a big Velvet Underground fan for a long time. Yeah, of course you did. Whether or not I'm still a big Velvet Underground fan is for only my friends to know. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, I guess for people to read between the lines and figure out, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Brendan's wearing a t-shirt with the banana on yeah. it. The, I did have you, a banana t-shirt. All of you are. You really, you had, the, friends. You had the Andy Warhol banana. banana. Oh, yeah. Brandon. I was something else, man. <sighs> well, okay, so we're in the big picture. We've already kind of been talking about it. Big picture thoughts on Dennis Johnson. I, de- I definitely want, so this is... Uh, if I may say so, without sounding like a jerk, one of the rare occasions where, uh, Jake, you've read way more of these books than than I have. So I want you guys to talk about Tree of Life or Tree of Life. Or, Tree of yeah, Smoke, let's talk yeah. about Terrence Malick's <laughs> Tree of Life. Some of his other works. Um, yeah, I want to hear about... Well, it's whether, been a long time since I've read his other stuff, so I think Jake's actually going to be able to speak. Well, I want to know... Or at least more fresh, yep. maybe. Yeah. I want to know, A, if there's one that you would recommend unequivocally to people. And, or one that you would at least recommend. B, one if you, that you'd recommend more than Jesus' Son to the average reader. Yeah, there is. And uh, see what that is and what you would say about the yeah, other Yeah, of, of what I've read, I think answer. the most accessible and least dangerous thing is going to be Train Dreams. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's short, it's enough, and it's, it's really sad, but it's, it's pretty great. It, it doesn't have all the magic of Jesus' son, but it's got a lot of magic of its own. And what's the hook? What's what's it about? This is this guy lives as the world changes around him. A lot of sad things happen to him, and the world leaves him behind. And I don't, I don't know. I want to say too much more about it than that. Like he's just like he's gonna get a, a wife, and he's gonna go build his log cabin, and he's gonna have kids, and he's gonna make a happy little foray into the world, and then things just keep happening. They don't go his way. 
things don't go his way and the world changes around him. The train, you know, he's going to work on the train or isn't he, you know, yep. the chain the train comes through and changes everything. The world is never the same and he's on his own or is he? And he's, he's gone from like a homesteading happy guy to basically a hermit in the woods by the time it's over and kind of sad. Yeah. I think I would recommend the same one. And it's, if you want just a sense of what Dennis Johnson's at his best is able to do, he weaves these kind of dreamlike stories that have a lot, but dreamlike's not the, I mean, there are dream moments within his stories where mm -hmm. like this poetry kind of peeks mm -hmm. through the cracks. Yep. And the same thing in this book where you'll have just really beautiful prose telling the story. And then you'll have these moments that he I, hate, I hate using the word transcendence. A, a thing but, happens, you know. And yeah. It, it, Moments of transcendence. I mm -hmm. guess that's the way, if you really want to put it that way. I, I don't so. think we can avoid using language like that because that yeah. is what Dennis Johnson does. It's, that's what it's he an does. accurate term for what he was yeah. striving for and what he achieved. So what else are you going to call it? I mean, yeah. if someone just resents anyone trying to do that or achieving that, then these aren't the books for that person. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, and really what that person resents is someone doing it, obviously. They, they just want it to sneak up on them a little bit more, probably, if they, if they, if they think they don't like this. Anyway, mm -hmm. there's my snobby assessment of anyone who dares not like the great Dennis Johnson. So, so Train Dreams. And then you keep telling me about Tree of Smoke. You said it was kind of it's an... 700-page novel about the Vietnam War following a CIA agent. And it's very sort of heart of darkness apocalypse now but with a cia angle on it and it's like with clear homages to apocalypse now all over the place and there's a man called the colonel and right yeah and we said he actually liked conrad was that something that one of you guys said yeah no he was just yeah he he would say that conrad was a big influence i don't think that there's any like i mean i remember when i first started when i first started tree of smoke i was like oh, i could just watch apocalypse now yeah. And then I got into it. But because it's Vietnam War, you're going to have horrible scenes. Mm -hmm. And so there's, there's still a lot of working through the dregs of society and, and things like that. And these random characters that you know are horrible people who do horrible things are weaving in and out of it. But it's like, if you feel like you can, if you're the kind of person who needs to feel like, well, that's just the way war is to justify moving through some of that, that filth, then this is your excuse. <laughs> but you're still gonna have you're still gonna have some of that. So I, I it's a it's a pretty incredible book. Yeah. I think I think it's pretty amazing. I think it's a pretty fantastic achievement as a novel. I don't know. I re I really liked it. I, I just really liked it. I, I I don't like rehearsing some of the images and and things that happen, uh, remembering them, but. I also think, you know, I don't know, the Vietnam War is just one of those little gaps in my, I feel like I spent a lot of time studying and reading and thinking about and seeing plenty of revolutionary or Civil War or World War II movies. Mm -hmm. World War One and Vietnam are little gaps, relative gaps. So I just felt some real curiosity about Interesting. Sort of thing too. I think I'm the opposite. I think Vietnam feels like some of the most well-trod, annoying kind of because, you know, I've seen all those Platoon and Apocalypse Now and Full Apocalypse Metal Jacket. Now is the only one that I've seen. I've not seen Platoon yeah, exactly. or Full Metal Jacket. I haven't Jacket. seen the other ones. I made you guys watch Apocalypse Now. You, you did. did, yeah. That's the only, and that's the only time I've watched it. 
Yeah. It was a beautiful moment in booking history that I don't even think made it onto a recording. I don't think it did. But yeah. we were reading Heart of Darkness, and I was like, well, guys, we've got to do an episode on Apocalypse Now. So so we watched it and then decided, let's not do that. <laughs> on second thought, let's not do an episode. <laughs> was, I don't know. Maybe we'll end up doing it on our movie podcast. It is the best war movie, I think. But also, it's gross. So what yeah. are you, you going to do? I mean, it's exactly what Jake's just been saying about Tree of Smoke, but I think it's much better than Platoon or Full Metal Jacket or or Deer Hunter. You want to you want to understand guys that came back. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think Tree of Smoke is a good way to do it. Is a good way to do it. Yeah, I agree with that. We we all have read Largest of the Sea of Maiden, which I really like, and I see yeah. you guys do too. I do like it. Yeah, I mean, it's more of his kind of stream of consciousness. I was doing this, and then uh, that. Let's flash back to the time I was doing that, and then I thought I was doing this, but actually I wasn't. He assumes some different voices than in some of those different stories, but yeah, and it's his. It's a posthumous, so it's his last work. He wasn't. <laughs> right. It wasn't maybe done or yeah, it wasn't ready. completely finished. But right, but it has the absolutely same, the same sort of fantastic little lines and the one that i always have quoted on multiple podcasts but it stuck with me is uh, i said are you a messenger of god worse he said i said what could be worse than a messenger of god yeah which gives me chills every time i think about it just he is one of those guys like dylan like some of those guys that at least that uh, maybe he wasn't the christian but he certainly was able to enter into the kind of poetic martyrdom and fear of god in a way that Unfortunately, a lot of Christians can't. Yeah, I mean, I think it gets you. Existential realism is the phrase that I, I've used or I used earlier. But if you want that Ecclesiastes sort of vibe, I mean, I don't know where you get it better in in literature, at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think I think maybe we were a little unkind to the sun also rises, or no, not the sun also rises. What was the Hemingway? We read. Oh, uh, oh, man in the sea. No, everything uh, that rises must converge. Yeah. No. <laughs> the be- what beast slouches towards Bethlehem all to the, be born? All the pretty, all the pretty women that die in hospitals, so that I can go have sex with. Not other the women. sun also rises, but why the... can't we pull this farewell to farewell pants, to, farewell to babes? Yeah, 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 farewell to arms. There we go. I don't think That's we were. Right. I think we were accurate. I think we diagnosed it accurately and we talked about it accurately. The one thing that maybe we didn't do was put, and maybe we didn't shouldn't have done this, but one thing that we didn't do is put ourselves back in the place of people reading it for the first time and people who hadn't experienced such a heady hit of existential realism. We can see all the places where it's corny and contrived and wish fulfillment and sexist and all the rest now, but you can imagine somebody hitting that for the first time, really getting a charge out of it. And I think Mm -hmm. Dennis Johnson is, is the modern Dennis Johnson gives us the charge today that Hemingway would have given them then Hemingway is old and creaky and been outdated in some ways. Yeah, and in some interviews, Dennis Johnson says that he didn't even think he was ever going to get these published. Right. Because they were too weird and too, they were about things and sympathetic to things that he thought nobody would ever care for. So, and I think a whole world of movies and genres, I don't think you have, when was Requiem for a Dream? It had to have been after this. I think it was 99 or something. Yeah. So that movie, then what, Train Spotting, all those movies that yeah. kind of try to take a sympathetic view towards the heroin addict, probably even The Wire, mm-hmm. things like that, don't mm-hmm. happen without yeah. Dennis yeah. Johnson. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's true. He, op- he opened up an ability to sympathize without completely being dismissive of it. Right. But he is, again, I think existential realism is right because he does have a way of just presenting it, of, of using 
grandiose, glorious language in order to accurately capture it, actually accurately capture the highs and the lows in a way that doesn't glorify it and also yeah, doesn't falsely, like Requiem for a Dream is so punitive, so much a morality play, so much like, this is what happens when you do drugs. Yeah, I've actually never seen Requiem NC-17, yeah, I don't recommend I it. I mean, it was a moment in my life. It was like early 2000, Nathan Cinephile got to see Requiem for a Dream, but it's yeah. like the guy's arm is getting amputated at the end because it's so rot rotted from shooting up and we have to watch the saw go into the bone and it's like, drugs this is the depths of depravity and it's cutting between that and his girlfriend like doing sexual favors and then to get drugs because she's an addict and then the grandma's being wheeled into the psych ward it's just like because she's an addict because yeah yeah everybody's an addict and everybody's doomed and it's like it's moralistic is what it is i mean it's not that these things don't happen and not that it isn't evil to waste your life that way and to destroy yourself that way but there's a way of writing about it that's heavy-handed and there's a way of movie making that's heavy-handed and Dennis Johnson isn't that he's also not the flip side of the coin which is train spotting I think and a lot of things that actually at the end of the day just make it seem fun and attractive and and cool I don't I mean maybe I suppose there is a certain kind of person that would read Jesus son and actually, be attracted to that actually be attracted to the lifestyle I think there's probably that person yeah I mean, there's that person for yeah. any lifestyle. But I think Dennis Johnson does a better job than almost anyone you could name of of avoiding the obvious pitfalls of attracting that person. I think. I, I think mean, I hope so, yeah. I don't read this and feel attracted to the world. Yeah. I, I'm sure there is. You're right. I, there, there has to be, to be somebody out there that's just a moral. I, I just think you cannot write about sin without, well, without right. doing that. It's, yeah, it's right. just, I forgot to mention that one of the books he said that was highly influential in his youth, and he saw this as being a, his take on it was Catcher in the Rye. That's interesting. Jesus' son specifically was yeah. his take on it? That here you had a young man, and it was supposed to show a young man who had promise and who was lost in a world that he couldn't make sense of and eventually finds his way out of, or finds a way to make meaning out of it or something like that. There you so. go. Our two favorite novels on the book, Jesus' yeah. son and Catcher in the Rye. So, Man, you guys were mean to Catcher in the Rye. Were we? Yeah, you guys, have been. you guys were way above Catcher in the Rye. Yeah. You did not have any use for Catcher in the Rye. Is that a sore spot? Sounds like it. I think it's the biggest actual disagreement. We've had like fun disagreements. I think Catcher in the Rye might be one of the real booketing disagreements. Because yeah. I'm just like, whatever else Catcher in the Rye does, it does capture perfectly a moment and a kind of person who hadn't really been captured in literature before. And you have to give it some props for that. Well, I think it's... As much for me, it's the type of person who gets attracted to Catcher in the Rye yeah, as it is. Yeah, and I agree. And, I agree. I, and you can't judge a book for that reason, but no, I don't know. You can judge a book for that reason a little bit. And yeah. by that metric, Catcher in the Rye sucks. So you guys are right. It's not an argument. It's uh, But where were we? Big picture thoughts on Jesus, son. I, yeah. I'll just say that it did it for me again. again. It gave me that moment that you are always sort of looking for in any kind of literature where suddenly the world becomes magic hour and you see the leaves are lit up by the sun and well yeah it's that that scene the sparkle where on the water and you feel like you're alive and you feel more human than you have and you feel more yeah. it's those moments where it peaks aware through. and alive yeah. to the world as god made it mm-hmm. and the beauty of things and it, it's just like the veil of the everyday rips apart and you see the world and that's like it could be. you know that's mm-hmm. what poetry 
I think the best yeah. poetry aims to do and, exactly. and certainly yeah. achieves and just, you best know. Best poetry, you get done reading it and then you go walk at the stupid mall or something and suddenly all the people you are see alive people, and you yeah. see the story. And, yeah, 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 you exactly. see people and you see people's stories and you feel compassion and you feel alive and you feel like a part of your soul that had been dead or dormant is awake. Right. Yeah, where's and, the scene where he sees, where he remembers being with one of his early lovers and the hailstorm falls. That's just, oh, yeah. a, that's an absolutely beautiful mm -hmm. moment in the book. See if I can find it. Yeah. I mean, there are things up here, up there in this book that are up there with the guy standing and watching the snowfall at the end of Joyce's the dead. And yeah. some of those, those moments where it's just like everything does converge and you've captured something about humanity. And just certain lines. Like I felt the canceled life dreaming after me. And he's a poet. Not obnoxious about it too. Very, what's the word? What, what is the well, word? He gets away at? with it because part his, of it's the voice, his yeah. character. right? Like the his character is so unassuming that you kind of believe he just talks like this and is unintentionally. Yeah, it's like he poetic. slides into where he's just giving you details, and then suddenly, like he'll be dreaming, and so you get this idea that this world he just has difficulty separating his hallucinations from reality and mm -hmm. so the sort of poetry can seep in that way mm -hmm. it's a it's a interesting conceit to get some poet poetic moments like that in there well and also something like what's what's the line about scraped out veins it's the same line as i knew every raindrop by name it's just the first part of the sentence yeah. or the sentence right before yeah the very first page of the book well i know a new name drop every name but up every raindrop by name is another example of what i'm talking about that's actually not like Ray Bradbury is our classic booking example of purple prose. And Ray Bradbury is like, two boys are playing with a kite. And the way I'll describe it is, are there be pirates running in the purple haze? And it's like, you haven't actually made me imagine two boys playing with a kite. You've you've heightened it into something that goes beyond what actually usually happens when you play with even the, the no, best kite moments. No, in two lines, you made me feel his buzz. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. You you have what what you've done is you've accurately plugged me into accurately described a moment with your meta your your metaphors have clarified which is what actual good metaphors do this is yeah. yes this is what a lot of it's a lot of ama amateur amateur poets, reformed poets often, yeah they, they 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 come in and purple things up in such a way it's like i don't know man Sim simplicity really goes a long way like you you made it you in your effort to be poetic you just made everything obscure yeah a good stupid. A, a good image takes one thing and just shows you how there's something within that image that reflects the world in a way you had never thought of it. Mm -hmm. But but it, but what it does is it makes the picture snap into focus yes, exactly. and with clarity. Like, oh, Not, now now I know exactly how it he doesn't felt. stretch and try to manipulate things. Mm -hmm. It's accurate. Man, where is this? I really want to read it. Does anybody remember what story it was in? The hailstones. Yeah, and that's part of the problem with with it's a short little set of short stories, and it weaves so much weaves in and out. Hailstones. Janice Johnson, Jesus' son. Oh, I'm just going to get a bunch of Bible verses about yep. hailstones. Yeah, I don't know if there was a way to just, I don't have it on a Kindle or anything like that. Yeah. Janice Johnson, gallstones. Mm -hmm. Is hailstones one word? I think it's towards the end of the book, right? There, wait, wait, wait. I think I found a blog that mentions what story it is. Hail, 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 hail. Work. It's the one with Wayne where they, yeah. Where are my yeah. women now? 
The man shook his head. He sat down too. This was an amazing thing. By reaching out one hand and taking hold of it for two or three seconds, he could have popped Wayne's head like an egg. So we have that first. And then came one of those moments. I remember living through one when I was 18 and spending the afternoon in bed with my first wife. Before we were married, our naked bodies started glowing and the air turned such a strange color I thought my life must be leaving me. And with every young fiber and cell, I wanted to hold on to it for another breath. A clattering sound was tearing up my head as I staggered upright and opened the door on a vision I will never see again. Where are my women now with their sweet wet words and ways and the miraculous balls of hell popping and a green translucence in the yards. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that that's the main passage that we've read almost does Dennis Johnson a disservice to our listeners who are just, because he doesn't actually always just do that. I mean, that's, no. that's beautiful, but I don't want people to think that that's really it's always not, hitting yeah. that, that heights. He, he well, knows. Some of it's just funny too. Yeah. He well, knows just, how to be subtle actually. Just read yeah. that first. The first page. Yeah. From the first page, because it's just like, it's so offhand. Right. Just start from the beginning? Yeah. A salesman who shared his liquor and steered while sleeping. A Cherokee filled with bourbon. A VW no more than a bubble of hashish or hashish fumes. Captain by a college student. And a family from Marshalltown who head-on and killed forever a man driving west out of Bethany, Missouri. I rose up sopping wet from sleeping under the pouring rain and something less than conscious, think, thanks to the first three of the people I've already named, the salesman and the Indian and the student, all of whom had given me drugs. At the head of the entrance ramp, I waited without hope of a ride. What was the point even of rolling up my sleeping bag when I was too wet to be let into anybody's car? I draped it around me like a cape. The downpour raked the asphalt and gurgled in the ruts. My thoughts zoomed pitifully. The traveling salesman had fed me pills that made the linings of my veins feel scraped out. My jaw ached. I knew every raindrop by its name. I sensed everything before it happened. I knew a certain Oldsmobile would stop for me even before it slowed. And by the sweet voices of the family inside, it, I knew, we'd have an accident in the storm. Right. So that was what Jake read in Brandon's library yep. that made us have to read this book. And if that didn't do anything for you, listener, then I don't know that any of this anything book's going to will. Because yeah. that's probably... It's as good what, a representation of what that book achieves mm -hmm. as anything. And it's just like, you're there. And yep. you... Yep. But it's hallucinatory, but it's hallucinatory in the way that life is hallucinatory. Yeah. The way that you piece it together in retrospect. and It also does capture that feeling of being drunk or of, of, of being affected one way or another. Mm -hmm. the, the way that things are murky and heightened at the exact same time. Yep. I don't know of anyone that's... You lose track of some things while other things are just like crystal clear. Right. You're just looking at like the spots on the table and they're, those are in technicolor and then everything that everyone's talking about is just a, a wash. Yeah. He captures that kind of feeling yeah, yep. better than anyone. And I really resented it this time and didn't enjoy the book at all, which is not really a negative review. It's just a description of how me and the book interacted this time, I don't doubt that I might read it again. I don't doubt, A, that I'll want to read it again. And B, I, I don't doubt that I might read it again and just love it. Uh, I think it's just one of those books that, depending on where you're at, it's going to hit different ways. And I just, for, for any number of, of, of reasons that I guess aren't worth getting into, I, I, which makes it sound like I'm recovering from addiction or something. I'm not. But I, I just didn't want to deal with the after haze of 
drugs and alcohol. That that feeling that we, that I just yeah. described, it's just like this isn't fun. I don't this I don't I'm I'm not it doesn't matter how glorious the poetry is, it doesn't matter how glorious the kind of existential uh, ecclesiastes of it all is. I just I'm, I'm not here for a fake high. Yeah, well, and the the lows, I did not I just started cataloging parties that I'd been to and times where I'd been really heavy drinking in my life or been drunk and and friends that did marijuana like all those things were very much towards the front of my memory this time interestingly enough i think last time i read this book i didn't dredge up any of that stuff it was just like oh this is an interesting cool but you know i just i wasn't interacting with it personally personally it was an artifact that i that i enjoyed and was repulsed by in the places where i was supposed to be but this time it was like I kept thinking about parties in particular that I'd been to been been to and hangovers that I'd had and things like that. And it's just like, that's not a place that I feel like living right now. Um, mm-hmm. You're glad to be done with that. I'm glad to be done with that. And I'm, I don't find any particular joy or insight in standing back and trying to have some perspective on it. Yeah. And so I like the car crash story. I like I, I like a story called Dirty Wedding about an abortion, which is the best thing that anyone's ever written about 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 abortion. It's not anti-abortion. It's just the best thing that anyone's written about abortion. I mean, it's, it's, anti- it's not pro-abortion either. It's it's, it's, it's anti it's anti-abortion because Dennis Johnson is a moral man that writes what he sees, and you can't help but be anti-abortion if that's what you are. If you're if you're an existential realist, then you are in fact anti-abortion, whether you think you are or not. Yeah, but it's the best story on abortion about the people who actually end up having feeling like they have to get an abortion. Right, it still packs a wallop. Yeah, I did not find it like over. I was not offended by it. I don't want to make it sound like that. I was not like disgusted by it particularly in any new or interesting way. I just didn't feel like living there. Just and maybe if I just had an afternoon to live there and get into it as a, as opposed to I'm going to read a story right now. Cause I have 15 minutes, you know, maybe if my life was just organized a little bit differently, it would have been different. There's all kinds of factors that might've made this enjoyable. I'm, I'm a little jealous that Jake read tree of smoke and the other one. Cause I think I, I would have enjoyed reading those and I'd like to find the time to read those at some point, but this just wasn't, this just wasn't the book for me right now. So that's my those are the right time of life. Yeah, those those are kind of my my big picture thoughts. And and everybody is going to try and read between the lines and think did Nathan just give up alcohol? No, nothing like that. I don't I don't know what well, I don't even know. It just it just hit me at the wrong time. So, yeah. There you go. No heroin rehab for you. Yeah, right? no. I well, yeah, I did just give up heroin. Brandon, I hadn't even put that together. <laughs> That's probably the reason. <laughs> it just seemed like a bad book to be reading while you were trying to Get off the old heroin. No, I mean, it has something to do with being here, having a church plant that we're so invested in, the kinds of people that we're invested. There's just, I wouldn't even know how to psychoanalyze it if we were off mic. I don't think that there's like an easy one to psychoanalysis for it. Yeah. If there is, it's certainly not one that I would share with you listeners, but, <laughs> but there's, but I don't think there's one that we'll, we'll immediately say once we turn off the mics either. I think it, I think this book I think it's a testament to what's powerful about this book, actually, is it's not the kind of book that you can just kind of skim over and not have a reaction to. And if you're not in the right frame of mind for it, then it's it's going to be unpleasant. 
Yeah, and I think that's right. I think that's part of the design. I think that's part of the genius in many ways. But this isn't a book that allows for an easy reading and not all art, maybe not the best of art does that. You should you should have to, especially when you're writing about something that has this much sort of moral weight and content to it, you should have to deal with it. It'd be a bad writer in bad writing if he didn't make you deal with it. Right. But it kind of makes you hate some of Hemingway. I mean, how how much, not Hills with White Elephants, but things like... Well, like The Sun Also Rises. Yeah. Could have been more like this. Right. But instead, Instead it is just kind kind of of, a malaise where you're like, eh. He does kind of romanticize it even. Like, you wish that you could be one of those people. Right. And and you can really just kind of... There's more... He's closer to an understanding of who he really is than Hemingway ever was. Yes. I think... think Dennis Johnson gets himself yeah. more more or less. I think that's a good way of saying what we've been trying to say mm-hmm. about him. Well, speaking of himself, that brings us into the Hall of Heroes. Huh. Well, there isn't one. We, we can't <laughs> even say the name of the character. <laughs> yeah. Fun fact, that was actually his nickname. <laughs> the, Dennis Johnson. Dennis Johnson's nickname. Yeah. The, the name yeah. that we can't say. Yeah. Yeah. So that part is autobiographical. Well, there you go. Okay, so anything else to say in the Hall of Heroes, guys? No heroes. What about maybe? Oh, sorry, Brandon. We're already in the villain's lair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I was about to say. I think they're kind of the same thing, the villain's lair, the Hall of Heroes. Just to to quote Dennis Johnson, this book is about all these weirdos. And the main character getting a little better every day right in the midst of them. So, yeah, weirdos can't be either bad or good, really. They're just caught in between, which, hey, man, isn't that the state of being a human? Yep. <laughs> I think you're right, bro. <laughs> well, guys, that brings us into <laughs> the crawl way of secondary characters. Ooh, my favorite place. Uh, how'd you feel about that Wayne or hotel or... Uh... Yeah, I mean, there was... So you could tell that some of the early stories were based. Well, you can't tell. It's just the fact that the, a lot of the early stories are based on his remembrance of one specific person. Like you have the Dun Dun guy, and then the hotel guy, and then mm-hmm. you have some great lines. The work about Wayne, right? Yes, you do. You I, go I, them like a, I agree with that. I'll never forget you, that waitress who poured him a drink. That's what it was. Oh, yeah. The waitress who always, the bar wasn't making any money when she was the. Yeah. This is about Dun Dun. Will you believe me when I tell you there was kindness in his heart? His left hand didn't know what his right hand was doing. <laughs> it was only that certain important connections had been burned through. If I opened up your head and ran a hot soldering iron around in your brain, I might turn you into something like that. Yeah. <laughs> and so he's trying to make you understand these characters that otherwise you would see as depraved. And so in that sense, have you guys... Well, he did just kill a guy. <laughs> yeah, I know. Have you seen like shows like... I don't know, The Wire or something like that, mm-hmm. kind of try to do similar stuff. They take these characters that otherwise... I tried The Wire. I couldn't yeah, stick it. Otherwise, you would just pass by and not give yeah. a second thought to. Yeah. Right. So like in The Dirty Wedding where he's passing by all the windows and he's noticing people in their lives and he's thinking about all these... And he follows that random guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's... Uh, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Huh. Yep. So yep. there's... A, yeah. He sure does. He sure oh, does. Sure. Other things happen. <laughs> yep. uh, yeah. Yeah, but do they? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. And I'm sure... I mean, I think that I remember as an undergrad, everything in this book seems voyeuristic and he's making a claim. He's making a statement about how art is voyeuristic and that might not be a healthy thing. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think there's some truth to that. That... 
we get caught up in our hope that art will somehow save us when what saves them is going to rehab. Yep. Mm-hmm. He doesn't get saved by his writing. He doesn't get saved. And that's, that's the fiction that he and uh, Cormac McCarthy too, they escape is that being fit. Fitzgerald was ruined by his drink. Mm-hmm. The more he drank, the less brilliant his work got. And it wasn't until he stopped drinking that Dennis Johnson was actually able to. So he's kind of breaking this myth of the addicted writer being, that's kind of interesting, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I think I really like that about that. I think when we were talking, I we just kept using the word self-deprecation. Yeah. And like Cormac McCarthy's famously a teetotaler. That's interesting, too. Yeah. He says that writing and drinking should not go hand in hand. So... Which kind of breaks open, it breaks apart that the myth, myth of yeah. the writer as being high on drugs and doing their best work. Yeah. They're both saying that that's just completely bunk. Yeah, so. the the guy in front of in the seedy hotel with a typewriter and a wife beater, yeah, raging around, and then sitting down to write genius stuff. Yeah, I just have a hard time believing that that ever happened. That kind of bohemian, Ewan McGregor at the end of, or yeah. Moulin Rouge, you know, that that, that whole kind of. And so they're saying that that's not what happens because you're just depraved. You're just caught up in it and there's nothing you can actually do. Right. Other than just be caught up in it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then it's not until you get yourself out that you can then have the reflect. Because a lot of good art is reflection Mm -hmm. on stuff. It's it's remembering what's happened and then drawing these metaphorical conclusions and stuff for people. And just, well, I just, I've been getting into some, like, I guess you would call it outdoors writing. Mm -hmm. So I read, have you ever read Into Thin Air? Yeah, it's actually really good. I'm sure it's wonderful, but those kinds of stories really bother me. Yeah, but it's his reminiscing on this thing, but he he can't do it until, you know, he's, he can't write about it while he's there. And so a lot Mm -hmm. of writing is, I think it's like that. He could never have done this while he was in it. And I think it explains why Fitzgerald, well, you know, Hemingway kept trying to get Fitzgerald out of his alcoholism. That's why Fitzgerald never wrote a great book after The Great Gatsby, Mm -hmm. right? It's because he kept thinking that alcohol was going to do it for him. And so- Anyways, I appreciate that about this book, that it kind of busts open that myth of the... Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing that's enticing about any kind of drug is that if you could control it, I mean, we have had those moments, anyone who's used any kind of substance at all, ever, including alcohol, has had the one moment in their life where they've had just enough that they are brilliant. And that lasts for 15 minutes. Well, Um, we had, we just talked about a writer who claims that that was the case for him, Stephen King. Yeah, I mean he, but he also he d- doesn't, he doesn't even remember, remember writing writing Cujo. Cujo yeah. so. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the thing about Stephen King is, yeah, he produced a lot of stuff really fast and made a boatload of money. Would those novels be better if he'd been able to revise them? And I think so. Like the problem yeah. with all those novels is that they're they feel like they're written by somebody on drugs. They're they just mm-hmm. somebody immensely talented and with a lot of but but yeah, I just, uh, in any case, I guess that brings us into the section called Twists and Turns. This book has lots of twists and turns, very plotty, plot-driven. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> book. Well, there aren't. There are twists and turns. Plot twists. This, there's the, no plot. This Exactly. <laughs> there's the the twists and turns of vignettes. the fact that you are being taken through the ramblings of a drug-addled mind. Drug-addled mm-hmm. mind. And so you don't know where it's going to go. And some of the stories, you don't even really understand what the point is, right? If there was supposed to be a point in the first place. Now, so. how much do you guys think, because this was the kind of 
mean thought that I had. It's like, I couldn't write Jesus' son. It's You have to be talented to write Jesus' son. So I hate to even say this out loud. But the, th- the thought that I did have reading at this time was what, what we already said, which is, man, this is a forgiving little style that he's come up with. Yeah. Like he actually gets away with a lot yes. simply because he has yeah. a style that allows him to ramble and just stop in the middle of things and not actually have to do the work of constructive constructing a narrative. So I just wonder, do you guys think that that is a crutch at all? Is, is that something to be critical of or is it just that he just leans it's on It's part of the magic and there's a reason why I think it is part of why this this one exceeds all others that he did. But I don't know, try to come up with my veins are scraped out. Yeah. Da 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 da. I knew every raindrop by its name. Yeah. I mean, a number of hallucinatory works of genius written by Nathan Zero, a number written by Dennis Johnson, many. So who am I to criticize? But But I I, I don't think there's nothing to it. Yeah. Well, you could even say finding the right crutch is its own form of genius. A little bit of genius, yeah, absolutely. And it it takes talent to weave these vignettes together in such a way that they have any kind of cohesion. The fact that it doesn't feel more a grab bag is a testament to whatever this guy's doing that makes it all work. Yeah, you can call it lightning in a bottle all you want. Fact is, there's a bottle, there's lightning, and there's the act of bottling it. And he had the bottle, he had the lightning, and he bottled it. Right. Mm-hmm. However he did it. Yeah. I, I think reading Largesse of the sea, sea Maiden was when I was actually a little bit annoyed. With, I was like, these stories feel more down to earth. You don't have the drugs. I wonder if I wouldn't actually enjoy these stories more if he did the work of making each story an A to B to C. Because a lot of times they'll actually feel like they are going to be, but then he'll suddenly do his Dennis Johnson thing and jump into... Some other thing. Something unexpected. Yeah, and I didn't always love that that's what he was doing in that one at least. But it's been years since I've read it. So I think I read it when it first came out. And maybe also stole Brandon's copy of of that. Yeah, I think you might still have a copy of that. <laughs> did you ever pass it on to him? Maybe. He never did. No, I ended so up buying it. my own. Okay. Well, there you go. Well, you're welcome. I'm glad to be building your Dennis Johnson collection. <laughs> yeah, you got any copies of Tree of Smoke? Or... <laughs> well, guys. I do. <laughs> But not with me today. <laughs> hey, we're in the salon of style. Very boozy, this, druggy. This whole uh, episode is just a style episode, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's just a style episode. We are. Where's that line? <laughs> Talking to my bullet hole. Tell me I'm fine. <laughs> There's a lot of good lines in this book. <laughs> <laughs> it is kind of funny. There are certain things. It's a funny. real sense of humor. Yeah. No, it's very dry in the, in the sense that he's not calling attention to the fact that it's funny, but a lot, a lot of it's very funny. I was in Pig Alley. It was directly on the harbor, built out over the waters on a rickety pier with floors of carpeted plywood and a formica bar. The cigarette smoke looked unearthly. The sun lowered itself through the roof of clouds, ignited the sea, and filled the big picture window with molten light so that we did our dealing and dreaming in a brilliant fog. People entering the bars on First Avenue gave up their bodies then only the demons inhabiting us could be seen. Souls who had wronged each other were brought together here. The rapist met his victim. The jilted child discovered its mother. But nothing could be healed. The mirror was a knife dividing everything from itself. Tears of false fellowship dripped on the bar. <laughs> and what are you going to do to me now? With what exactly would you expect to frighten me? <laughs> <laughs> so good. <Yeah. laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. So 
<laughs> there, enough said about style. Oh yeah, that reminded me of the other story I like, where some guys hitting on him, and he he addresses you, the reader, and says like, "Now you obviously know that this guy's hitting on me, and yeah, everybody would know that this guy's hitting on me, but I didn't. So so sue me, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know why it was obvious, or or, or everybody, but all me. my friends asked me." If he propositioned me, and I don't know why everybody thinks that's obvious. It was never obvious. It's the guy who was pretending to be Polish, right? Right. Yeah. 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 On the, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, there you go. <laughs> I don't know how the style works, and I'm fine with that. Yeah. It does. He didn't even know how it works. He couldn't talk about it. Yeah. No. Some so. people just have it. Some people just don't. Yeah. Is there anything else to say about the style? I mean, it's, uh, it's good. He's a good it's, stylist. It's really, I mean, yeah, I mean, we can just keep talking around how unassuming it is at points and how. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely a off student and, of Hemingway and also poetry. Mm-hmm. He's very, very spare. Yeah. Yep. Or sparse. I think that's what the word I mean, not spare. Yeah. Well, he never feels like he's reaching for effect. He, he always feels like he knows exactly when to slip those little lines in and then when to just be straight. Yeah. You, yeah. you can't just have everything be a line or or they won't pop so yeah he's pretty great and that brings us to the haven of reflection upon deeper meaning drugs are bad yeah everybody's lonely and desolation haunts us all yep yep bye (laughs) 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 <laughs> I mean, I guess I could play devil's advocate and say, why would you want to write about any of this stuff? And why are you guys, rec- you, you guys obviously like this. You're going you're gonna to try and clean it up by saying like, well, some people shouldn't read it and all well, that kind of stuff yeah, you say. Okay. But then that's fair. I did come away. I did come away thinking what a waste for him. Yeah. What a waste to expend all of that talent and poetic ability in the, the, the deepest, darkest alleyways and dredges of, and that's part of what he wants. Like that's part of like what he cares about. That's part of what he knows and who he is and where he's been. And so you just either take it or leave it. But you look at, I look at Dennis Johnson and part of me has to just step back and say, man, wasted. Mm-hmm. Like well, you get the, all this, all these like beautiful little glimmers of genius spent in the way it was spent. And you just wish, or you wonder, so I don't, I think it's absolutely fair to just say, yuck, gross. Yeah, you don't, he's, it, not, he's not the kind of writer you want to try and be. You yeah. might learn from his style, but you definitely don't want to be the guy who could have written these stories. Yeah, I mean, part of me wants to say it is good for society to sort the drunks and the beggars and the ne'er-do-wells into a category that we... Oh, man, that was going to be a convoluted sentence if I'd finished it. Let me just give up on that sentence. We tend to dehumanize certain sorts of people. Yeah. And I don't actually think that that's always bad. Like, you can't be so crippled with by empathy that you don't keep your streets clean of homeless people for just to use a silly modern example. But on the, on the other hand, Dennis Johnson is reminding us that the guy laying in the alleyway covered in his own fecal matter has a soul made in the image of god and a story that's every bit as 
profound to him as King Lear's story or Macbeth's story or whoever, and that and that these people matter. And I, I think mm-hmm. it's nice to have a poet of the downtrodden. Well, um, and and when when Dennis Johnson can credibly have risen from that, part of what happens then is every homeless person lying in an alley in his own fecal matter could be Dennis Johnson, mm-hmm. right? They're, they're humanized. They're made in God's image. They're, all of those things are true, and you recognize each one has their own story, and that each one of them has their own insight and could uh, things they see that you don't see and things about them that could be really special, and you would never know it because you look down on them. Yeah. I mean, I'm just, I'm thinking about Elizabethan drama and how, or, or even Greek drama and how tragedy happens to high bo- the highborn and comedy happens to the lowborn. I mean, that's just yeah. been the conceit forever, but I, I think it's nice. I think it's American and <laughs> democratic and good to have somebody say, no, high tragedy happens to the lowborn too. Yeah. It's not just King Lear on the blasted heath bemoaning what the gods have done to him or whatever. It's 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 the drunk in the alleyway. It's everybody has these feelings. On the other hand, I wouldn't want everybody to be Dennis Johnson. I'm glad there's just one Dennis Johnson. Yeah. And I don't think a healthy diet. And he's about all the world can take. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Exactly. He's and, all the Dennis Johnson the world ever needed. <laughs> and he's a better Dennis Johnson than so many people that try to be Dennis Johnson or think they're Dennis Johnson or are the yeah, the like the liberal movements that get or even some of the reformed, more reformed progressive movements that get their kicks out of being in the city for the city. Mm-hmm. Like they really understand the downtrodden, but really it's just a way for them to feel cool about themselves. Yeah. I mean, Jesus son's the kind of book that was made for the gospel coalition to write like little articles about how yeah. we find Jesus in the gutter or whatever. And you can take that kind of thing into such a ridiculous, lame, inane, depraved, apologizing for depravity place. There, there should be an ick factor associated with people who have given themselves to this much degradation. We should have a certain amount of, Ugh, I just don't even want to know about that. And Dennis Johnson does, violate those taboos in a way that I don't think is going to be helpful for everybody. So, so yeah, I was, that made me wonder. I don't see anything. There is a Dennis Johnson that they talk about, but he's a professor of practical theology at Westminster Seminary. Yeah. I mean, he's too awesome for the gospel coalition. I think like, he's, they wouldn't there's something that he doesn't quite do right. That's not attractive. Drop F- like they're going to some blasphemies. Yeah. They're, they're going to be more attracted to something along the lines of an HBO I guess they do series. Quentin like Tarantino. So yeah, they do Tarantino. It's not, they're not above the content. I just think, I just think he's not mainstream enough. I mean, honestly, exactly. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll be that judgmental. Not opportunistic enough. If, if, like if he hit the culture, like if they made a new adaptation of Jesus son, that was done by somebody a, did a buyout. Certainly a they would find him. Dennis Johnson. Yeah. They, they'd find him real quick and they'd have lots of profound thoughts about yeah. the Christ-like gaze of Dennis Johnson. But then they, yeah, man, but they would completely miss the point too. Mm-hmm. So, cause I think Dennis Johnson would absolutely hate that. <laughs> yes, he would. <laughs> yes, he would. Well, is there anything else you guys want to say about book or Dennis Johnson's Ufer in general sounds like pipe dream. What's it called? Train dreams is the one to read. If you just want to taste, if you just want to wet your whistle. Yeah, no, I think that the reason that this doesn't do the same thing that like a Quentin Tarantino or something that they might also be attracted to at the gospel coalition mm-hmm. is because it's not trying to, it doesn't, like we've said, it romanticizes, it doesn't romanticize anything. It sees that poetry and stuff like that can beautify any life. 
but it doesn't romanticize the dirt that he's in. Mm-hmm. It doesn't try to make you attracted to it. And I do think that there's a sort of illicit longing that some of these people that like, you know, the grit and grime of you can't understand depravity unless you read about depravity, mm-hmm. man, right? Yeah. They're kind of, there is also, then they're also allowing themselves to wish they were Walter White. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are they to wish that they were some of the characters on the wire, stuff like that, that there is a sort of longing that's there that they don't really want to come to terms with or even think about. And so they get to give themselves to it. And I don't think Dennis Johnson allows you to do that. Which is why I've always like who had... wants to be the guy in the car that kills the baby rabbits. Right. <laughs> There's nothing beautiful about that. Right. Yep. He allows us just enough distance from that one to kind of laugh at it, I think. Yeah. But that's where he gets his nickname. Yeah. Well, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> which is why I've always had a twisted admiration for the last story, by the way. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, which is the one where he's a voyeur and a creep and he's looking through a window at a woman undressing or something like that. And he's also, is he working at a rehab center? Is, yeah. I'm trying to remember yeah. what the details are. Well, he's like no, he's working at home. like a, yeah, a nursing home slash mental institution. Yeah. It's, type that of one a, he, it's like what, uh, what's that? What is that place up in Bloomington called? Like Stone Belt or Stone something. Belt. Yeah. It's like yeah, Stone Belt. It's like that. It's and kind of that wonderful th- line where he says that the guy doesn't even have to pretend anymore. Like he's, he was just completely free to just be the messed up person he was. And here we all are pretending mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. yeah to, to me, that's the right note of kind of, yeah, it's got a little hope, but it's also sort of a deflating <laughs> yeah. ending. It, it's not, it's not a blaze of depraved glory, nor is it a blaze of hopeful optimism. It's, it's just kind of, yeah, this guy, it, it's, it's, it's what you could argue a truly moral Breaking Bad would have ended on the second to last episode where Walt's just dying of cancer and paying the guy a thousand bucks to play cards with him in the cabin before he goes back and gets his cool revenge and all that stuff. You know, just a sad deflating kind of story is actually, is actually maybe where you could argue Breaking Bad should have ended. Yeah. That was Um, a better ending. Or you could end on the high Shakespearean tragedy of the third to last episode where, where Hank dies and he's, well, Either of those would have been better than where they landed. Yeah, exactly. The, the, that last one was lame. Yep. But at least he got the Nazis real good, though. Sure did. <laughs> in like an like Inspector Gadget kind of way. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but I think a lot of, I mean, the last story is terrible, but it, it, it does, it, it's, it's kind of the right place. I mean, it deflects some of the gospel coalition glory and depravity kind of thing. It's like, no, this guy really is a, exactly his nickname and yeah. he's, he's cleaning up. He's trying his best. We can be happy about that, but he's because, not. Because yeah, because even within his like coming, he's getting out of rehab. He still admits that the only reason he doesn't do horrible things while he's being a voyeur is because he was worried somebody might see him. Mm-hmm. It wasn't because he was like having this awakening mm-hmm. sense of who he was and the depravity of himself. It was, he just didn't want to be caught. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So there's just kind of a, What's kind of difficult to deal with in this book is just the sort of boring, like they all want to think that sin is just like this bubbling, boiling tension within all of us. But sometimes it's just, you have horrible thoughts and they just pass through and you don't even do anything about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Like his depravity is just there and it's just like, they, he doesn't pretty it up. He doesn't make it attractive. It's mm-hmm. just like going to the doctor. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's a good way of putting it. He's, he's, he does just sort of, the deadness of sin about as well as anybody like it's just like there's nothing really romantic about this it's just gross and you know there's a little bit of a laissez-faire these things happen kind of a feeling to it as well but but it's i don't know i don't know uh how many rabbits out of 
How many dead baby rabbits? How many dead baby rabbits out of 10? Brandon, do you give to Jesus' son by Dennis Johnson? Uh, (laughs) Maybe I should ask the harder question. Who would you recommend read this book and why? Oh, boy. Yeah, that is the harder question. I mean, it's another in our series of, if you think this book's for you, run. If you (laughs) think this book sounds gross, it's for you, maybe. I don't know. Anybody who's an aspiring lover of, I mean, a writer or something like that, I don't know. Who do you recommend this to? I recommend it to you guys, and you're like the only ones I've ever recommended it to. So <laughs> Here we are I've, talking about it on our podcast. I don't, I don't think I've ever recommended it to anyone. Yeah. And I can't think of anyone I would recommend it to. Yeah. And yet, here we are talking about it. So Recommending it to everybody. I mean, we're, yeah, it's an implicit recommendation, right? So, so uh, it's hard we, to... We done, think, done it. I think... Um, what I would say is if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, that doesn't sound like the kind of thing for me, Trust that instinct. Like, the, yeah, uh, we're, we're not saying no. overcome that instinct so you can find this. No, great I mean, I think go read Train Dreams. Yeah. And then, and then, I, I don't know, we've read to you enough actually of Jesus' son for you to get all you need out of it, I think, actually. Yeah. Because what you got was just that sort of simple, beautiful poetry as prose or prose as poetry kind of evocative thing. That's a thing that somebody can do. That's a thing that maybe you can do in your own way. Give it a shot. Yeah. But you don't need to read Dennis. You don't need, you don't need to read Jesus' son in order to do it. No, you don't. You just need to know that it's possible, I think. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's right. I don't know. We're in our eighth year or seventh year. We always, always, always have to refigure this out. Yeah, well, one of the things that people say about Dennis Johnson um, that we haven't said yet for some reason is that he's a writer's writer. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a, and there's a reason why, I, I think that's part of the reason why he didn't make it mainstream. Like, I don't know. I think the really honest place to leave this podcast is to capture the conflict. Because what we can't say is, well, if you're awesome like we are, then you should read it. Right. I mean, that's actually what we want to say. Like, if if if, if you're mature enough and uh, have the right angle and the right life experience and everything else... And, and you already read him at the wrong time, mm-hmm. and or yes, whatever you know what I mean. Things that, like, yeah. Um, then read him, but everyone else beware. There's a lot that's beautiful about him, and we really like that. Like I said, it hit me wrong this time. I did not like it at all. Um, and I think, and my wife, I think maybe read this collection just because it was on the shelf, and she heard it. She'd heard us talk about it all these years, and didn't like it. She, it she, it's not so much that she didn't like it as that there was just nothing there for her. I mean, she's never drank much or like she had no experience to connect to. She's, she comes from a hard scrabble life. Like there, there were, I suppose things that she could relate to, but substance abuse just isn't really ever been something for her. So she was just kind of like, what, why, like what's, what's the point? And she's not the kind of person that's well. We said women hate poetry. I think that's the bookening. Yeah, uh, that's right. Uh, actual. I wasn't. Take. I don't think I was on that episode. No, but me and Brandon were, and our wives. I yeah. think. And women do hate poetry. They don't understand it. And so, why would any woman like Dennis Johnson? I think that's the official bookening take. Ten out of ten dead rabbits. If you're the right sort of man, but if you're the wrong sort of woman, then don't read these books. No. Yeah. Speaking of the right sorts of men and women, though, we've got patrons. Bookening patrons. And what they do is they go to patreon.com forward slash the bookening. They sign up for as little as $5 a month to support this podcast and help us do great monthly episodes of the finest Christian literary criticism that there is. 
And so you could do that. If you give at least 10, you can be part of the donor shout out club. And I'm going to go ahead and read those donors' names. Okay. Sorry, I'm going to go ahead and remember off the top of my head those donor names. I don't read this list. And actually, I did I did used to have it memorized back in the day, but then we got so many that... Yeah, it's way too big now. Well, and it's, it's always kind of changing just a little bit. Uh, you know, people don't pay up. So in any case, why don't you guys say who the spirit animal of each one of these people are? Mm. So uh, Brandon, you got your Robert and Rhonda the Lovebirds. Hummingbird. You got the artful Anthony Dodger and Bootstrap Betsy. You know where this is going to end up. Might as well just go there. Yeah. Frankenstein. Yeah. I was really hoping we could hold out for at least a couple. <laughs> little Anthony Cigar Store. Dracula. The Immortal Chelsea E. Frankenstein. Jimmy B. and Little Annie Oakley. Dracula. You know, I've never noticed. Is Brandon always Dracula? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I, I, there have been maybe one or two times where we have swapped. Okay. Or where one of us carried both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are the kinds of things that I don't notice, folks. The Immortal Chelsea E. Whose turn is it? Frankenstein. Jimmy B. and Little Annie Oakley. Dracula. Lily the Valley. Frankenstein. And Arrested Lovebirds. Dracula. The Keefmaster. Frankenstein. John and John Little Baby Max. Dracula. Jane Katie, we're cold enough cheese and also C.S. Lewis and Community Till We Have Faces. Frankenstein. Fairy Princess of Wonder and Happiness, Mother Beth. Dracula. Till We Have Faces. Talk about a trippy book that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> 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 C.S. Lewis must have been doing drugs when he wrote that book. Gotcha. But the wrong kind of drugs. Yep. The drugs of Biom or something. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hashish from the Mystic yeah. Orient. Fairy Princess of Wonder Happiness and Mother Beth, did I say here? Yeah, you did. Council Prime Adam. Frankenstein. Nathan, not me. Dracula. Ride the Red Avenger, Dude of the Ladies of Justice. Frankenstein. DJ Sammy G. Dracula. Betty and David Tiberius. Frankenstein. Aaron Catherine from Yon Winter Breaks. Dracula. Lavender's green, Dylan, Dylan. Lavender's blue. Lavender's green, Dylan, Dylan. I love you too. <laughs> That's some particularly beautiful uh, counter melody there. No Constrictor. Dracula. Merchie. Frankenstein. Anthony was golden, hates life, literally in the pursuit of cheese and brick red. Dracula. <laughs> Drew Jeffrey, the Texas Ranger. Frankenstein. Midnight Ninja Ellen. Dracula. J.F. Reckon Ruin. Timothy the Rider of Dawn. Eric Kate the Camp Champ Kings. We're a woman of these. Many, 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 many. Does he give me sunshine? Oh, the Keeper of Eternal Texas. Frankenstein's winning this one, buddy. Laura, the Keeper of Eternal Light. Frankenstein. Cold Steel Cody. Frankenstein. Jacob, the Librarian, Barbarian. John Bodilla, Bob Diggity, Captain Neal's mate. Saxophone Alex, the other saxophone Alex. Frankenstein. 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 Jeremy, the dark hood, uh, Lord of Death, and the Lord of Bright Frankenstein. My name is Brandon. Remains of the Day? Frankenstein. Abram, the Fuller of Teeth? Dracula. Lamort de Trenton? Frankenstein. Daniel, my Man Among Men, and Jen, who strikes again every now and then? A Dracula. <laughs> A Dracula. <laughs> that concludes Frankenstein. Donor Shoutouts. Frankenstein. That was great. All right, guys. I'll tell you what I'm addicted to. Dracula. Patreon.com forward slash the booketing. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, whatever. See you guys. <laughs>
Yeah, it is good stuff. People can hear us. <laughs> <laughs>